is. But it's a quick little intro. If you have not viewed the first and second uh, episodes in the series, we really went over an overview of what inflammation is. And I'd like to just briefly discuss again uh, what it means from a dietary and health context, because it is so overused as a term and a phrase. And I'm afraid that that a lot of people just really don't understand it. Uh, I probably in a given day hear this phrase a dozen times. Oh, my weight is up. I feel inflamed. Oh, my GI system is off today. I think I'm inflamed. Oh, I just don't feel great. I'm not sleeping well. I think it's inflammation. You know, we just, we, we heard that phrase over and over and over in pop diet culture. And you know, what does it really mean? So it, it, it really is a thing. There is chronic low grade inflammation measured by different blood markers where your body is, is overtaxed by, by way of your immune system being heightened. Your immune system is, is threatened in some way, uh, chemically or through other kind of mechanical stress could be training for sure. Overtraining, not getting enough sleep. And so you have these markers like C-reactive protein and some others that that really do show your body is in that chronic low-grade stressed state. And some pretty bad things happen because fat as a collective organ that is responsible for signaling things like satiety and hunger cues and and uh, even lean into insulin resistance and so forth. Uh, there, there are issues there. There, there are things that can work better. And it's often the case that when we, when, when I really start talking with clients about some plateaus they're having, uh, a lot of times you see those underlying issues of just deep, deep fatigue and not getting enough sleep and so forth. But today I want to turn toward dietary fat. I, I was going to title this fat versus carbs and just get into that lane as we often do. But I really could only go into fat because there is so much mechanistically to talk about just this. So we'll do another episode on just carbs, and then we'll probably be done. But I want to make sure we have enough practical information to really hang our hats on and understand what this really was. So in retrospect, the further I read, I think there were a couple other studies that might have explained this better from a fat perspective. Uh, so I'm going to, I may mention those in our next episode, but this one really is unique. And so I wanted to leave it as is high fat diet causes mitochondrial dysfunction as a result of impaired ADP sensitivity, uh, adenosine diphosphate. You've probably heard of ATP. We talked about that quite a bit. Adenosine diphosphate is after the, one of the phosphate, uh, molecules have broken off in a sense, giving up its energy the mitochondria has done its job, so to speak, and has broken ATP down to give usable energy to the cell. Mitochondria, as we all know them to be, the little powerhouses, they're always called in physiology class of the cell. They are the organelles within every cell that literally does create the metabolic environment. So when we talk about our metabolism, our basal metabolic rate, our functional metabolic rate, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, things like that, it's it's a collective addition of all of the trillions of cells in our body and how much energy they are using and creating for each individual cell. Um, when we talk about inflammation, a lot of times down at this cellular level, you are also talking about mitochondria because there is a lot of dysfunction with the mitochondria that 
that becomes kind of a two-way street for uh, not just disease processes. We talked a lot about that last week in episode two, but just um, not even malfunction, just 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 um, low functioning of our cells. It's the the malaise, the, the kind of energy we could be producing, and and the vitality we could be feeling. So this, as you see, uh, the Journal of, of Diabetes, I think it was maybe even re, re uh, in metabolism here, the journal Metabolism has republished. So so I would say this is a pretty, pretty important study. And when you get to some of the discussion points and some of the findings, I think you'll see how important this particular study was in the catalog of looking at fat as, a, as an intake nutrient and what happens in our body with inflammation. So let me read through a couple of these things. When we get when we go through this introductory slide and one of the summary slides, I'm leaving a lot out, and I'm going to tell you why. It's just so biochemically heavy. This was a, a an experimental study, a mechanistic study with mice. Uh, they did a, a huge amount of work, a lot of labs, and and so I didn't want to get us tangled up in all of that methodology. So I'll try to explain what I'm what I'm including, what I'm leaving out. And then that way, if you're super, super interested in the research part, you can jump in and look at that. So although the etiology of type 2 diabetes is poorly defined, chronic consumption of a, of a high-fat diet is a major contributor to whole body glucose intolerance and insulin resistance. The molecular explanation for these responses is not fully understood. However, mitochondrial dysfunction within skeletal muscle has received attention as a potential contributor because mitochondrial content is reduced in most reports of insulin-resistant, obese human skeletal muscle. So before I go on, uh, you'll see I, I intentionally kind of broke these three things apart because I'm giving you the beginning, the middle, and the end of their premise and introduction. And one thing I need to explain is how they're defining the scope of this study in this phrase here, mitochondrial content. And I think this will make sense to you guys in the exercise science world. So mitochondrial content, I remember hearing a phrase way back in the in the early 90s called mitochondrial density. And in somebody who is well-developed physically, you're, you're a runner, cardiovascular strength is, is high, you lift weights, you've developed all kinds of muscle mass, you would expect the mitochondria to proliferate and to increase in density and size. And you know, this one particular organelle, all the little components of it, although not even completely understood, at least back then, they would just kind of measure it as, well, they're just bigger or there's more of them. And that's a good thing, mitochondrial content. And so it was always looked at as a good thing. And that was a measurement and interpretation of a lot of research. Uh, but this particular study was really, as I said, I don't want to say it's a landmark study that will go down in history, but it's really important because it it upset the apple cart in some ways of understanding that. So these data suggest changes in mitochondrial content are related to insulin sensitivity, but reductions in mitochondrial oxidative capacity are not uniformly reported in literature with insulin resistance. The high fat feeding has been shown to induce glucose intolerance and insulin resistance despite increasing mitochondrial content. Together, these data suggest reductions in mitochondrial respiratory capacity are not required for the development of insulin resistance. So one of the things in this debate of what causes things, remember this was a study in the journal Diabetes, so very interested from an endocrinology standpoint, 
and they were looking at this. This was unique literature a while back that, oh, my gosh, why do high fat diets cause more complications with diabetes than high carb diets? As you can understand, that was that was a shock to a lot of people. It still is, frankly. So one of the things they looked at was, well, when somebody has a high fat diet, we see mitochondrial content increase. And isn't mitochondrial content hypertrophy or proliferation a good thing? And so those two things were just kind of correlated and bypassed. Nobody really looked at why. And I'm going to give you the the main point of this. We'll I'll, we'll get through some of the re, some of the result elements and some of the discussion, but I'll I'll give away the 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 bottom line right here in that it comes down to inflammation. It's not just that more mitochondrial density or content is a good thing. It is a good thing if you get that increase from exercise and because you have been, quote, you know, creating the need from a cellular respiration and energy production standpoint. <clears throat> but it can also be just because of inflammation. And so just like we talked about trans fats, how those phospholipid barriers get transposed and that gums up the cell for lack of a better term here um you know that's happening here and so you get quote inflammation you get swelling you get a maladapted response so you actually have mitochondrial capacity decreasing while there's actually hypertrophy of those mitochondrial contents a really good analogy is the heart somebody who's a runner somebody who's well-conditioned, they will have a bigger, stronger heart because that left ventricle has strengthened and it's hypertrophied a little bit. Well, somebody who has some kind of cardiac insufficiency, the heart actually also enlarges because now the heart is beating too hard too often to try to make up for that, that insufficiency. So again, you can have an enlarged heart for a very good reason and a very bad reason. So that's what they found here. And this is the first time they really equated those two things and looked at it from a mechanistic study. So right in the beginning here, we hypothesized that mitochondrial adenosine diphosphate sensitivity would be impaired after a high-fat diet, independent of, of reductions in mitochondrial content. If accurate, the hypothesis would rectify a prominent discrepancy in the literature regarding the notion that mitochondrial dysfunction occurs in parallel with the development of insulin resistance. So this was all kind of looking at down to this organelle level in a cell does a high fat diet create insulin resistance, meaning it's bad for glucose tolerance, diabetes, creating metabolic syndrome responses, et cetera. And again, I, I, there's nothing, there's no surprise. Yes, it does. You know, a high fat diet is worse than a high carb diet for all those things. So uh, as I mentioned, this was done with mice. They, they're very little, I, I'm maybe in some other reports of this study, they, could have given far, far more detail in the methodology. It was very, very scant in the Journal of Diabetes where I got the information. So they didn't even say how many mice they used, um, but uh, ten. it was a four-week study. The mice ate uh, as much as they wanted ad libitum, broken up into two groups, 10% fat intake group, 60% fat intake group. So a high fat versus low fat group. Uh, intraperitoneal glucose and insulin tolerance tests, so a lot of blood draws, resting VO2 and, and CO2, um, you know, rates, respiration taken at all times in metabolic cages, 
and then they would check the the cellular respiratory you know mitochondria changes in the gastroc upon termination of the mice so here's here's what uh they i'm going I'm to show you four slides and i'm not going to go through every single one of these because this gets into that heavy biochemistry that i said i think would really stop us from from getting to to the bottom line that we want but but i'll show you a couple things here the uh the the normal diets here in white versus the high fat diet uh things like carbohydrate oxidation uh, the, the main thing I want you to see here, so, so this is the verification that a high-fat diet induced glucose intolerance, or I should say verification that a high-fat diet does create glucose intolerance, insulin resistance, fat oxidation. So, you know, we can, you can go through all these things later if you want. I had, I put the actual study name and link on that first slide, but I want to kind of buzz through these things to show you what I think is a more important application point. Increased markers of mitochondrial content in the absence of altered max respiration capacity, showing again that without the exercise-induced training increase in capacity of the mitochondria, you can also get that increase in mitochondrial content just by a high-fat diet because you're reducing the efficiency of how those cells can create energy. Again, probably because some of that trans fat phospholipid transposition on the, on the, uh, the membranes. Uh, but they, like I said, they got into some really deep, deep chemistry here. They're checking L-carnitine levels intracellularly, things like that. Uh, all these other substrates and, and blood markers, uh, some of them inflammatory markers directly. Uh, impaired submaximal ADP, adenosine diphosphate, stimulated respiration, ADP sensitivity and suppression of H2O2 emission dependent of substrate transporter protein expression. So you can see why I didn't want to spend a lot of time going through these things. I don't think many of us, including me, uh, want to get this deep into what they were looking at at that cellular level. This is one of those places where I think getting into the deepest part of their discussion points is a little bit more important, unless you are a researcher and you really want to go through this stuff. Uh, occasionally, you can find some things that you say, hey, hey, look, wait, what? what's that? That's That doesn't make sense. Uh, but when you go through the journal metabolism, diabetes, et cetera, I tend to be a little bit more trusting on the review processes. Um, but let's uh, let's move on here. One more of these. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. See if there's anything important here. So mitochondrial sensitivity. Okay, I'm going to get to their discussion points. And then I know Dr. Souders, who we're lucky to have on the call here, uh, really has so, some great information and interest in the mitochondria role in dysfunction with, with inflammatory disease-induced processes, that sort of thing. Uh, Dr. Jurgens also mentioned something on our, our app chat about... C-reactive protein, and, and is there anything directly correlated to that with fat intake, which the answer I'll show you on the next slide, I think, Don, is resoundingly yes, uh, and those are some things we can talk about as well. But here, here's, here's one of their final points. We provide compelling evidence that consumption of a high-fat-induced mitochondrial dysfunction, high-fat diet-induced mitochondrial dysfunction as a result of impaired ADP sensitivity. So this goes back into, again, your mitochondria within the cell's ability 
to break ATP down to ADP in its usable substrates for energy. So when that is impaired, when you're when the cell's own center for energy production is impaired at creating energy, you're you're going to have an entire cascade of, of issues after that. One of them being increases of inflammation because your body's just not keeping up. It's almost like watching aging happen in real time, which I think we all know what that looks like. Plenty of internet memes show a 75-year-old on a walker on a deathbed and another 75-year-old running a marathon. Like we, we, we know what an entire life of good or ill health can do. And, and this gets down to, I think, just about as basic of the root cause as we can, which is the, the, the tens of trillions of cells in our body, the actual ability to create cellular respiration, which is the cornerstone of metabolism. Specifically, we show that despite the induction of mitochondrial biogenesis and unaltered maximal ADP-stimulated respiration, respiration at physiological ADP concentrations were impaired after the high-fat diet. In addition, the ability of ADP to stimulate respiration and attenuate mitochondrial H2O2 emission were decreased after the high-fat diet, whereas modeling reactive lipid levels that occur with high-fat consumption exacerbated the apparent mitochondrial dysfunction. Combined, these data strongly indicate impaired mitochondrial bioenergetics after a high-fat diet due to impaired ADP sensitivity. So again, a lot of this we have typically said, hey, that's carbs. Like carbs are doing that. Like, that's what carbs do. That's why carbs cause diabetes. I, I just can't emphasize enough how, yes, too much sugar, too much carbohydrate, too much calorie intake, hypercaloric diets also do this, but it's at a much lower level. Fat just does it far, far greater. And, and once again, this is not so we can choose, oh, I'll have a high sugar diet. That's great. High fat diets are bad. You don't want high sugar. You don't want high fat. You want most of your food to come from healthy whole food sources, including whole food, low glycemic, low glycemic load carbohydrate. But you can't just say carbs are the enemy, keto is a way to go, or you're going to end up here. So their final point here, whereas genetic models and interventions that increase mitochondrial content typically have improved insulin sensitivity, again, because they're looking at healthy people that have higher mitochondrial content because of exercise and you know just activity, consumption of the high-fat diet in the current study and others paradoxically resulted in increased mitochondrial content despite the induction of glucose intolerance and insulin resistance. Therefore, the notion that mitochondrial dysfunction contributes to the development of insulin resistance has waned in recent years. Our data, however, implicate high fat consumption in impairing respiration and increasing mitochondrial HCO2 emission as a result of impaired ADP sensitivity. So a couple of the things that I thought, were, you know, and I just went and got a, a smattering of extra links here, not links, but but things that that show a little bit more of what's behind this kind of study and why I said it was really important in the current canon of exploring high fat diets and what they really do at the cellular level, uh, exercise and mitochondria health. Um, and just, I created just little snippets here since the 1960s decades worth of research has demonstrated that exercise promotes a robust increase in mitochondrial content. As I said, that's why I always thought just looking at mitochondrial content was always like, oh, that person's healthy or that person's not. And now we know differently. 
Effects of exercise, mitochondrial content and function, kind of the same thing. A higher mitochondrial content is associated with greater um, oxidative damage, oxidative defense, protein synthesis, ATP turnover, et cetera. So again, that can go both ways. I, I mentioned that this wasn't necessarily the best study to look at just fat, but if we really want to look at inflammation and where it comes from in cellular dysfunction, it, it kind of might be. So that's why I wanted to lead with that one. Um, and then some more evidence here that, that we could look at. These are some that I, I did review that I thought, man, I wish I would have saved more time to talk about these as well. Impact of dietary fat on gut microbiota and low-grade systemic inflammation, mechanisms and clinical implications in obesity. High dietary fat induces NADPH oxidase-associated oxidative stress inflammation in rat cerebral cortex, so even brain inflammation and, and aging and all that good stuff that can be linked with degeneration and um, decline. Modulation of obesity-induced inflammation by dietary fats, mechanisms and clinical evidence. So again, just to show you that this is not something fringe or out of the ordinary, this has been known for quite a while. Uh, it just hasn't quite made it into our zeitgeist. Like most people still want to blame carbs and sugar for all things bad when it comes to obesity or diabetes or glucose intolerance or metabolic syndrome related dysfunction. So once again, with such a, a great panel, I know uh, Amy is not here, a... Um, She's a physician's assistant who is often here with us, but we have Dr. Souders and, and Dr. Jurgens, Dr. Brunacini, uh, so many learned people here. Uh, anybody want to jump in and, and just throw in any comments in there on that educational side first, and then we'll entertain some questions on a, on a practical side? Who's jumping in first? It's like the Wild West. Everybody's got their hand on the on the holster. Who's gonna Who's gonna draw? It's, it's a standoff. Hey, Joe. I'm Don. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you. Um, I'm in I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm, so they might have some uh, some rain, and I'm just driving from point A to point B. Uh, one of the things um, that uh, has interested me and something I, I became aware of, um, and it's probably one of the primary things that I teach in a general uh, food first approach is the kind of disastrous uh, implications of polyunsaturated fatty acids in, I'm sorry, yeah, in PUFAs, excuse me, um, in, uh, in excess. Uh, the research is pretty replete. And getting to it's the impact is at the mitochondrial level with uh, mitochondrial leakage the aspect of or, or atom leak sorry atom leakage from the or electrons or god electron leakage from the mitochondria uh trans uh, membranous and um uh not so much the you know trans fat or uh, implications on the, on the membrane actually the direct uncoupling that that's actually occurring and this is where we see the uh, depletion aspect of ADP to ATP conversion because the electrons are leaking, you know, in, uh, in the cascading event, they're leaking uh, out of the membrane. Um, so one of the things that I'm hearing is, yeah, the excess fats and no question about it. Uh, just 
wondering about the, the differentiation of the fats, if, that, if any of that was made you know, within the research. And then what struck me is perhaps, perhaps not the uh, uh, exact type of um, um, research done on, on rats or what have you, uh, and, and, and there where maybe it's not as, as a direct corollary to human uh, metabolism, um, it's just something that, that I was thinking about regarding it's really important to, to study the fat uh, of here as opposed to just the generalization of fat. So but one of the things that I, that I wanted to put forward was the, polyunsat the excess polyunsaturated fatty acid uh, that we've seen in uh, you know, modern times, especially in, in the US and, and any of the uh, uh, um, industrial countries where the corollary between excess fats, going to vegetable oils and what have you, and uh, the, the almost direct corollary with uh, increasing disease states. And um, here we have the reasoning for the mitochondrial component and the uh, what is inflammation, you know, at the uh, at the molecular level, what exactly is, is 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 inflammation, and then it goes down to you know tissue damage. And what you're talking about uh, at the mitochondrial level is if there's not enough ATP, you you said it perfectly in my opinion, and I think it's one of the big takeaways. The it, we're looking at aging in the moment, and that's exactly what inflammation is. You know, it's a repair response, but it becomes chronic or it, it's occurring. Um, in a, in a way that's not supposed to be, and I think at the mitochondrial level, we're, we're it's seeing it all the time, and then you have to have the cellular response uh, communication that, hey, my membrane isn't uh, um, where it's supposed to be. You know, the cell state's not where it's supposed to be, thus, in essence, there's injury. So uh, that, that's all I wanted to say. No, uh, two or three really good points there, and I'll I'll go in reverse order. That what what you just said there about aging and what is inflammation, I, I totally agree. That's why I really wanted to keep redefining that, or at least trying to make it simple in this series. Uh, create some kind of a heuristic for health minded people to really understand what's happening. And you're exactly right. Be, the, the all the way from reactive oxygen species just running amok to cells not being as efficient, creating that energy. You have that low-grade inflammatory response. So see reactive protein and so forth. Your your immune system is constantly being peaked and, and drained, so to speak. The epigenetics of what that could create in terms of gene expression for different disease processes. You just run into even all the way down to excess histamine reactions. So somebody ends up with just chronic arthritis and joint pain where, you know, they, they may not have if they had lived a better life. But I want to I want to go back to your first point because I'm really glad you brought that up. I, it was a total miss on my part to 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 forget to include the fact that this was mostly a saturated fat compound. When you look at these studies, they typically are using feed from different pharmaceutical companies who are creating these just for research. So they're very standardized, almost like a pet food company. Like you get these from these different research institutes. And, and this one was a, a saturated fat compound. So a, a while back when we were looking at just the science of fats in general, I think we did a multi-series uh, look at that. The polyunsaturated fatty acids that 
maybe a decade or so ago, really got the shaft. I mean, everybody all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, canola oils and everything, soybean oils and everything, they're killing us, the food industrial complex. And because those are not saturated fats, they do have to be looked at and treated a little bit differently. And you miss an opportunity for good quality fats from omega-3s and so forth. But but you can't say that they necessarily have much of a deleterious effect on health. I mean, it, it's almost it's almost a point of neutrality. And maybe that's not sophisticated enough as an answer. But omega threes, healthy, good. We need more trans fats. Horrible, keep them out. And then in the middle, you know, you, you, as long as your fat, your your total fat intake isn't too high, those aren't going to be much of an issue. But I really appreciate your perspective, Don. Always so incredibly thorough. If I could just, if I could just jump, and this is, if I could just jump in one more time, um, and and this is the the uh, distinction problem, in, in my opinion, regarding. Uh, saturated fats, polys, and monos, and 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 the distinction goes down to the omega three, omega six. So you have polyunsaturates and the omega threes, which are completely different than the polyuns than 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 the polyunsaturated omega sixes. What, what I'm talking about, and and what the research is replete about, um, in my opinion, and is is that we're talking about the polyunsaturates and the omega six category, the vegetable oil uh, polyunsaturates, and and it's in excess. And I think one of the things, which I learned from you recently, Joe, um, is this uh, uh, dynamic balance between carbs and fats and where the fad component has, re and, and by the way, I, I, I was caught up in it a bit as well myself, in that, you know, f uh, uh, fats are, you know, fats are good. The saturated fats are good, all this, and uh, there's uh, no double bond, you know, there's, there's no single bonds and all the other stuff, double, right? Uh, uh, double bonds. And the, uh, that it, it really comes down to uh, uh, qu ratio quantities is, is if you have, you're eating a lot of fats, it's just not good. I mean, in, in a generality. Um, and uh, that what I learned from you and, and stop me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm wrong, is that uh, the, the lower fat profile, if you're going to have, for whatever reason, um, uh, prescribe higher fat, like in a ketogenic diet, um, then, then you have the, 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 the low-carbohydrate the low profile. Lots of problems with that in, 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 in ketosis and ketogenics. But uh, what, what I see the problem is when both are high, when the carbohydrate intake is high and the fat content high, is, is that we're seeing uh, this vast disease signaling and vast issues with both those babies being being high and um, you know that was a big takeaway I learned from you early on uh, that really got me thinking and, and, and about that so one is excess fats in the generality two in polyunsaturated fatty acids is looking at the omega-6 not the omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids um, and that it's the it's the excess quantities that people you know like my mom and when I was younger, uh, they're you know they're cooking in, in vegetable oil in you know in corn oil and 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 doing all that and uh, that was a big change from uh, early America when they were pretty much just using saturated fats not to excess but even in the in the in the um, uh, the, 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 the the diet as they went west. Uh, their dressings, you know, for for a salad was made from um, 
uh, sour cream. And uh, it was, it was really, it's really interesting looking at old recipes um, and that, and how they were constructed and the, and the, the almost non-existent coronary disease that was, you know, early, early on. So it's, uh, it's excess fats and then the, the distinction to the, to the specific fats and then the distinction into the omega-3-6 sixes for me anyway, so far. Yeah. In the difference between the good old days when people did eat much higher fat content diets, we, we had a 2% rate of obesity and the movement was much higher. And so you were using so much energy that just didn't matter. And, and as one of the takeaways, so this is what I hope from these research reviews. When we did that segment on fat, uh, somebody uh, let me know through our chat that as I was talking about how everything, every salad dressing, even an Italian salad dressing oil that you would think, oh, that's clearly going to have olive oil. No, soybean oil. And, and everything is omega-6 at this point. But there are sources. Like I now have Italian dressing that's made with flaxseed oil, omega-3s. And you can find those kinds of things if you're willing to, to do the work. And, and I think that can be where you're just dotting every I, crossing every T. So yeah, could not could not agree more. Um, Dr. Sowers, what do you think? I don't, I don't know if you jumped in in time to hear, you know, I, I, I almost wanted to, to say I chose this one on mitochondria because I know you, you love looking at that as, as a source of function, dysfunction in the body. Well, I just wanted to actually chime in first, sort of following up with what Don said. I mean, when we start looking at ketogenic high fat diets, you know, we should at least recall too, like if you are a Maasai warrior or an Alaskan native and you are eating a carnivore diet, um, many of those people are incredibly metabolically healthy, but you have to look at it's not just simply the fat content of the diet and its saturated nature uh, entirely. So first of all, these are also people who have not the civilization stresses that we do. I mean, I don't think very many um, Maasai warriors or Alaskan natives, there are many of them left at all. Um, but if they're living in their traditional culture, they're certainly not getting pinged with 25 notifications every hour in a, on a cell phone. Um, they are they are not dealing with the um, kind of ongoing chronic low-level stress that comes with modern society. So first of all, you are not building a background noise level of high inflammatory markers to begin with. So you're not activating that fight or flight system inappropriately. You're activating it appropriately when direct threats come. And then when direct threats are resolved, then it goes back down to a baseline. Um, whereas one of the problems with modern society is stress is of a different nature. And our old programming still responds the way it did to old threats. It, it cannot distinguish appropriately being yelled at by your boss um, as being different than being charged by a rhinoceros, right? So, so we, but the, you know, the rhinoceros episode is few and far between in real life. And so we're, we're bathing our bodies in inflammatory markers because of the, the sort of chronic elevation 
of modern stress. So that's one of the first things. Once you have that, almost anything that you do wrong dietarily, and I put wrong in scare quotes, um, but you know everything that you do on, on that background has a larger impact, right? So if, if a particular dietary intervention is going to have um, negative effects on mitochondrial energy and mitochondrial health, and resilience to disease and progress through the through mitochondrial healing cycle, then you know if if we if we add that insult on to an already activated system, um, the results are going to be far more dramatically bad. Um, I will read a, just a little section here. Um, the 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 healing cycle in metabolic terms reframes the pathophysiology of chronic illness as the result of metabolic signaling abnormalities that block healing and cause the normal stages of the cell danger response to persist abnormally. Once an injury occurs, active progress through the stages of healing is driven by sequential changes in cellular bioenergetic, bioenergetic excuse me, and the disposition of oxygen and carbon skeletons used for fuel, signaling, defense, repair, and recovery. Over 100 chronic illnesses can be organized into three persistent stages of the cell danger response. 102 targetable chemosensory G-protein coupled and ionotropic receptors are presented that regulate the cell danger response and healing. Metabolokines are signaling molecules derived from metabolism that regulate these receptors, reframing the pathogenesis of chronic illness in this way as a system problem that maintains disease rather than focusing on remote triggers that cause the initial injury permits new research to focus on noveling signal therapies to unblock the healing cycle. So, you know, basically what does that mean? We live in a milieu where um, when we are in a healing cycle from some insult, let's say it's an infection, right? Um, the We already have so many aberrations in background signaling in terms of cytokines, metabolokines from, the, from chronic stresses that they interfere with the cell danger response resolution and the repair cycle of mitochondria. So in other words, it, 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 it signals to the mitochondria that that the the issue hasn't resolved right so we can't really focus on healing it and these are these chemokines you know affect um immune cells and immune cell signaling throughout the body it i don't want to get into it too much but i just want to emphasize that kind of the current dynamic is looking at um, the fact that we have a lot of background sin signaling going on in modern society, which is perpetuating chronic disease, and whether it be from diet or whether it be from um, environment and whether it be from toxins or whether it be from the normal things of, you know, physical and uh, physical injuries and, and, you know, systemic illnesses and things like that, um, there, are, there are negative effects on the cellular healing cycle. So if we have bad energetics from the diet, um, all that does is show us potentially why um, ath atherogenesis, 
right? A, a metabolic disease of the cardiovascular syndrome system, excuse me, is so much more prevalent in these high fat diets, but not if you're a Maasai warrior. Well, I also want to point out too, that modern keto is horrific because guess what? People don't want to eat like that. Like I've been put on a medical ketogenic diet. It was an essential thing for me to fight a life-threatening infection. So that meant to me whole meat and vegetables. That is what I ate. But if you go <laughs> and you go to the grocery store and people say, I'm doing keto, they got keto cupcakes, they got keto peanut butter cups, they got keto potato chips, they got keto. It and it's just crap. It's just loads of highly pro-inflammatory chemical frankenfoods. You know, so so it's not just simply the fat and the fat contents, but it's everything that goes along with it. And we have to think that as humans, why do we want this? Because we hate eating keto. I would so a couple of things, Jen. I, I I love, of course, the differentiation as Don started off between, hey, let's make sure we're talking about saturated fat and not all fat. Um I think it's also important, as you noted, you know can we transfer this information from a rat study because we have all of these other stressors you were looking at rats compared to rats mice compared to mice and so we don't know like maybe they have these little paradise incubators and they were all stress-free happy mice um or maybe they were all super super stressed but anyway you know group a and group b experimental group and control group they were the same um, and I would say like, even when you get down to people who have had to eat keto because that's all they had available, salmon and that sort of thing, because there's nothing but snow on the ground. We don't know anthropologically if they, if they were as healthy as they could be, the human body is resilient enough in mammalian genetics to adapt. But I mean, were they dying in heart disease in their fifties? You know, I mean, maybe not, but it just depends on body composition and being overfed. Yeah, there are some studies that indicate no, that there, there were some studies that did, that examined them and they were actually metabolically fairly healthy. But, you know, they're very few and far between because the opportunities to study these people and, and the opportunity to study them where modern diet hasn't invaded their lives and modern civilization. It's just, it's, it, you know, it was vanishingly small two centuries ago and, and, and shrinking dramatically since. So what little we do know is... Um, is enough to raise questions that it it's not simply the dietary composition in and of itself, so much as that we also need to consider it's the the whole foods aspect of the diet, um, and then also a, you know a more vigorous lifestyle potentially, uh, and certainly a different kind of type of stress exposure for those people. And one more thing I would say piggybacking on your phrase there, because we just don't know, we couldn't study it as we might today. I don't even know if whatever condition you were facing and you were given the advice and I'm not trying to pick a fight, but for them to say, you must for this inflammatory condition, this pro healing environment we want to create, you must eat a healthy carnivore diet with this kind of research. Maybe people giving that advice today would say, wait a second, there's a better way to handle that. Like maybe Dr. Souders, we should have put you on this kind of diet with some whole grains and this kind of thing. And instead of animal meat, maybe make sure it was mostly salmon and these, you know, protein supplements that would have been cleaner, healthier. But 
to to your point, if you're going higher fat or higher carbs, lower carbs or lower fat, juxtaposed, you're probably going to be in an energy deficit or at least calorie maintenance that right. is your needs. And so that's where you can get into one is not the best diet on the planet and one is not the worst. They literally are number one and number two in most ways you measure them because both of them assume a hypercaloric appropriate calorie deficit. So you're going right. to see some decrease in inflammatory reaction from both. Right. And that's a, that's an awesome point. And again, that's why, you know, even if you do choose those diets to make make an initial step change in weight loss and, and make, you know, accomplish a goal, you know, get, get closer to goal weight. I mean, it's, it really is a necessary and appropriate thing to then be moving on to, a, to what would be a balanced diet. And you really need the education about what does that balanced diet look like? It can, it can contain the occasional pop tart, but it's not going to be pop tart based. And, you know, that you, you need to maintain as much as possible, um, you know, a high quality diet, whether it's mixed or not. See, Tyler. Um, well, and one of the things that I like to do with these research reviews, as I mentioned, I got way better salad dressing that's healthier for me now, just because we tackled a certain topic here is I think it's important for us to take some heuristics away from this to make it easier for ourselves. And so, with a study like this, it makes me want to redouble my efforts and say, man, I just need to make sure I'm avoiding saturated fat as much as I can. So do I really need that Pop-Tart if I can have a little handful of granola and dried fruit? Do I really need, you know, those tortilla chips when I could get some baked tortilla chips? Like, like where can I make some better decisions? Because over the course of a life, as Don and I discuss, you're watching aging in real time. When you get to be 60, 70, 80 years old, you, you can't make the changes. Like you've got decades worth of, of health, you know, at that cellular level that has already been adapted for. And so that's the, these, I, I really, really hope help people make decisions like that. Right. And that's, again, it comes down to also, I, I love reemphasizing the whole foods. For instance, if you are going to consume a saturated fat, here's a, here's a, you know, off the cuff example. So wouldn't, if you want to consume saturated fat, is it not better, for instance, to eat raw coconut where you're eating it in its natural state with whatever phytochemicals, uh, fiber and other things that come from the whole substance itself, the whole, I guess it's a fruit, um, itself. And, and if you're going to consume it, consume it like that, as opposed to, you know, spreading it on your bread, you know, and using it in your baked goods and you know, things like that. So in your, in, in the case of eating saturated fat as, a, as a piece of raw coconut, uh, it is definitely not the same as the saturated fat in a pop tart because of all the other stuff that tails along. So when you do consume your saturated fats, if you want to have whole steak or things like that, you, you know, choose, choose your fats in the most natural state that you can enjoy them. They're part, they like anything, they're part of a reasonable diet, but, but don't put your, you know, don't waste your saturated fats on, on the junk, right? In in a bioenergetics way, coming back to that, that, that was going to be my point is you were talking about eating whole coconut. Like if I want saturated fat, I'm probably not going to grab a coconut. I would want a steak. Right. And so from an energetic standpoint, I should, I, I could 
take the better, more responsible route and say, okay, if I really, really want that steak, maybe that is a meal where I am going to forego some starchy carbs because I'm going to get a lot mm -hmm. of excess calories from this fat. To Don's point where he was quoting me, I don't want my body so busy assimilating all this glucose and, and glycogen from the carbohydrate source. And then the fat source is just immediately getting stored as fat. I, I, I'm going to just forego all of that starch so I can enjoy the steak or another couple steps is make sure I've constructed my whole day where calorically that fits. That's not going to be a hypercaloric right. day where I'm throwing saturated fat on top of an already normal full day. There are so many ways that you can still enjoy some occasional saturated fats and so forth and still not have it impact your health nearly, you know, with any negativity. Right. It really just has to depend on the background, you know, and again, I'll even make considerations. Like if I am super stressed out and I feel like, and I'm going, so I want to take a break and go out to eat. That's probably the day I'm better off getting the large salad with either the salmon and the chicken breast on it. Um, not the steak, because again, I've already got a, a, chemical milieu in the body where I'm not going to be disposed where I'm not going to be able to dispose of those nutrients in in that state as as well or as appropriately or as healthily as I could um, if I went there on a very calm and, and celebratory state like your birthday or something like that. Well, we are going to, like I said, next week, going to try and dive into what's really happening with the high sugar and higher carbohydrate based diets with inflammation. So today we were kind of picking on fat. Certainly carbs have their place and they have their issues. Uh, but again, more in a just hyper caloric diet. I do want to mention one thing before we wrap up, because I, Jen, you really mentioned this well, that there's a lot more to inflammation than just diet. And I asked this instructor if she wants more clients because I'm gonna I'm gonna post this. Uh, I took a couple of my local clients last night. This was our first session to a somatic healing yoga instructor. Nice, and it was unbelievable from yeah. just a stress reduction perspective. So there are many types of yoga, and right. a lot of them are very physical based, like stretch, 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 get in this position and stretch, stretch, stretch. Uh, some of them are exercise yoga, some of them are hot yoga. This is positional release yoga, where if you feel yes. a stretch, you're going too far. It, when you get into the dynamics of the Golgi tendon organs and, and the muscle spindles, the connections between the brain, central nervous system and the muscle tissue, and you're using breath work to gradually let the muscle tissue relax. We got into these positions where you could literally feel with every breath, like, okay, here's my hip external rotation. This is as far as I can go. And then with your leg here, this, your psoas is relaxed. With every single breath, you could feel your leg just go down about an inch at a time. And pretty soon it's like you just increase your hip external rotation double and you didn't force any kind of mechanical stress. It's just the complete relaxation of your sympathetic nervous system. Right. And so, wow, what what a thing. And you can do this kind of like meditation. All, there's all kinds of modalities to reduce stress, which reduces inflammation, which reduces. But when you see how tight your body was when you walk into this room, 
And then you come into that perspective where um, I can walk away and feel like this. You, you can just imagine the cascade of anti-inflammatory responses and the autoimmune things changing because of that. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to continue tackling this from a dietary perspective, but there is a lot more to systemic inflammation and that being a root cause or aid for health. And so, I just want to say too, how much I love Don's commentary because I just find it so based in a lot of experience and so well-founded and thank you. I, I love hearing your comments. You are super. I agree. Stick around, Don. We like you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jan. I, I thank, thank you for the article, which I'd like to at some point talk to you um, uh, about that you recommended uh, last oh, yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Really, really. Yeah, really these really these things are deep, deep topics, and, and I may not be capable of of uh, discussing them uh, at a high level either. They're, it's really dense. Um, yeah, but... Oh, uh, no, there's lots of, lots of implications and things to speak into if i could just before before we wrap up something occurred to me while while this was going on and i don't know maybe everyone's already thinking about this but um uh, i love the conversation as to inflammation um love the way you put this forward joe but this is what what's occurred to me um listen i love i love evolutionary medicine i love thinking about where we've come from and how we ate and uh, all of that, and of course, epigenetic expression and what have you. Um, and so everything, you know, everything by season, but everything is ratio, omega-3, omega-6, omega-9, and how we would uh, eat within nature, all of that, excesses, you're going to, you, it's going to be screwed up. But this is what occurred to me regarding carbs and fats. And it was your comment, Joe, about the aging in the moment on a membrane level. And one thing I learned uh, a while back regarding the DNA is the DNA is kind of the gonads of the cell. Um, everyone thinks that you know DNA is this thing that's just kicking off and it's not, it's actually, it needs signaling, right? And the signaling comes from cell membranes, from either an organelle membrane, uh, a cell membrane, and and usually organelle membranes, but of course the cell membrane is is is, is interacting with environment, right? And the organelle membranes are, are, are intracellular interactions from that. And then we're getting the signaling into the DNA, which is what exposes epigenetic expression for a given allele set, right? So basically, um, it seems the fats are affecting or uh, getting inflammatory response because of cell membrane damage in what however we want to look at it and often mitochondrial electron leakage or what have you but in some way the the membrane is being affected and recognized as damage and that sets up the inflammatory cascading to heal and that's continuous it's chronic and we see that in neuroplasticity right we see that in in in, in uh, uh transmembranous uh degeneration in the, in the neurons right, in the brain cell. The, the carb component is, is not the, 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 the membrane aspect of inflammation uh, genesis. The carb is, to Jen's point, is 
related to uh, metabolic access stimulation, you know, where we're looking at insulin as a highly pro you know, inflammatory molecule, cortisol implications. And what I had said last time, something that had occurred to me a long time ago was this uh, uh, reactive uh, uh, response from uh, an aberrant uh, stress axis. So the top of the metabolic axis, right? So the HPA axis, um, where if you have a regular stress response, you're going to get um, uh, uh, adrenaline, nor nor norepinephrine production. You're going to get your your insulin spiking. You know, you're going to get glucagon. You're going to get your your uh, 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 glucose release uh, 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 from the liver, and in, in in preparation for fight or flight. In these sensitized systems, in these aberrant dysfunctional autonomic states, which are in epidemic proportions. What I put forward a while ago was that if someone takes in, and of course we already have insulin uh, insensitivity or, or, or insulin resistance, if someone takes in an excess or high, high glycemic aspect of a carbohydrate, how the system rec recognizes it, it recognizes it as a fight or flight response. That, that all of this glucose is now in the system, we must be in fight or flight. It's already in fight or flight response. And it, 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 it perseverates in, in the, the continued inflammatory response. So in essence, uh, eating uh, inappropriate uh, carbohydrate amounts uh, with, a, with a, uh, a fast uptake is in essence creating a, is in essence creating a stress response on molecular level to an already aberrant autonomic nervous system, which which continues the which starts the pro-inflammatory molecular cascading, which sets up all the problems. So I, I see two things. I see the 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 membraneness, the membrane component of inflammation from fats, and I see this other inflammatory molecular cascading from cortisol, uh, uh, insulin, what have you. Uh, responsiveness. So that's what occurred to me, you know, uh, just just now. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe everyone thinks that way already. And I missed the boat after 30 years, but I'm just putting that forward. No, I think you're exactly right. And that's what next week when we look at carbs versus fat in this, and, and there could be even three mechanisms. You, you kind of lumped in carbohydrate and insulin with cortisol. I think to Jen's point about just the hyper threat response environmentally around us, that's that's a third of that. Yes. Um, but that's, yeah. And I think there are so many split pros and cons with carbs, for example, the, 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 the great hunger cueing things that we get a resolution from, from the hypothalamus, like, like fat, just molecularly just bad. Like there's just, there's nothing you can say pro about trans fats, saturated fats, carbs, we need a certain amount of that energy. It's more bioavailable. There's all kinds of things that split it to be not quite as harmful, but in excess, it still is. And then you start smashing these things together and you got that perfect storm. But uh, I appreciate that, Don. That really gives me some clarity on what to even look for next week uh, to, to, as a contrast to fats. So that was really, really good. But I, I do have to wrap it up for, uh, for now. Um, you guys, this is awesome. I think this this is going to go down as one of our best series ever. So I really appreciate that, and uh, we'll uh, we'll continue on next week if we can. You guys have an awesome rest of your weekend. Appreciate you being here. You too, Joe. Joy, thank you so much for it. Thank you. Okay, see you guys.